Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. It's good that he's the lifter of our heads because there's nothing else worth lifting your head to look at. And typically, we walk around with our head hung. It's because we've allowed the things of this world and the weight of this world to bow it. We become bowed over. But when we look at him, there's a lift in our countenance because we recognize that it's not about us having the strength to endure. It's about us literally living out of his strength, knowing that in everything that we encounter, that God is already there and victorious, and we can embrace that victory. Well, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. Most of you aren't surprised by that. Chapter 7, verses 5 through 10. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 4. And if you're a person who likes to sit and read through chapter after chapter of the Word, you probably notice that Paul kind of takes a diversion here. Actually, it's not here that he takes it. He takes it way back in chapter 2, verse 13. And he's bumping along to chapter 2, verse 13, with a narrative about all the things that are going on in his life. And suddenly he kind of changes gears, he shifts gears, and he begins to talk about the ministry. He begins to defend the ministry that he's involved in. And the reason, I'm going to give you some of the history of this, because there's a shift, there's like a subtle change in what Paul's talking about, and I want you to be able to follow along with me. So what's happening is that, as I have said many times before, Paul's been ministering among the Corinthians for approximately 18 months. And then he later left to minister in Ephesus. And then while ministering in Ephesus, Paul received some reports of immorality in the fellowship at Corinth. So he writes them a letter to deal with that issue. And we don't actually have a copy of that letter, but it's referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. He later heard more news of problems in the fellowship regarding divisions, things of that nature among them. And that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. And then he received a letter from the Corinthians asking him to address certain questions that they had. So Paul writes what we know as 1 Corinthians, which we studied before we got here, and sent it via Timothy while he remained in Ephesus. And Paul gets more bad news concerning the fellowship, most likely through Timothy, and that the problems were growing. And to add to the whole mess, some false apostles had showed up to take advantage of the situation. So in order to set themselves above Paul, these false apostles launched into a campaign to discredit Paul with all kinds of accusations, both personal and regarding Paul's ministry. So Paul, feeling this sense of urgency about the Corinthians, takes a quick trip to Corinth. Now this trip is referred to by most theologians as the painful visit. 
which he references in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It was not a successful intervention. In fact, he was verbally attacked in front of the entire congregation by one of its members, and the fellowship made absolutely no attempt to defend him. So he leaves quickly, and he's very deeply grieved. And he returns to Ephesus, and he writes what is known as the severe letter, which we do not have, but it is referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. And then he sends this letter with Titus to Corinth. And Paul, in the meantime, he's still in Ephesus, and that's when Demetrius starts this big riot, you know, the mob. And they literally drive Paul after much persecution, they drive Paul out of Ephesus. So Paul leaves Ephesus and heads his way to try to meet up with Titus. And Paul leaves Ephesus and he goes, and actually that whole thing is referred to in Acts chapters 19 and 20, and he goes to Troy to meet up with Titus upon his return from Corinth. Now, as he goes, he's very anxious about this severe letter that he wrote them. The reason he's anxious is because he doesn't have just a passive relationship with these people. He spent 18 months in the midst of them, and he has the Father's heart for them. So he's very concerned with how they receive this letter. How are they going to react? I mean, he, he had the experience of, of his, the rejection when he went there in person. How are they going to respond? Is this going to push them even further away from him or away from the message? Or is it going to have its intended effect? He didn't know. And, and, and besides that, Titus was a close uh, friend to Paul. He attended Paul. And he was concerned about how Titus would be treated when he arrived in Corinth. So Paul's anxious to know how it's received. So he leaves for Macedonia where he finally meets up with Titus. Now, Paul, at this point, returns to the narrative he left behind in chapter 2, verse 13. And he does that here in chapter 7, where we are in verse 5. So last week, we took a close look at chapter 7, verse 1. And you remember that verse. It was a very critical verse. It had some deep truth in it. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, since these great promises are ours... Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates and defiles body and spirit and bring our consecration to completeness in the reverential fear of God. The Spirit of God through Paul is calling the Corinthians out. Out of self-delusion, out of carnality, out from living in compromise with the world. He's calling them out because, and here's the thing. Because they had not repented and were only satisfied to know God in a limited way. And this is what, this is what carnality does. It puts us in a place where we, we just want to know God like this. Come close, but not too close. I'm going to keep you in a religious context, Father. I'm going to worship you, but I'm not going to get intimate with you because I'm not going to live my life according to your union with me. I'm going to live my life like I'm flesh. I'm going to live my life according to this world. So therefore, I will know you 
according to the flesh. And let me tell you something. When you determine, you make a decision to go down that road and reject God's presence within you, and that's in effect what you're doing, you are setting aside His union in you to embrace the flesh outside of you as though that were your identity. You're separating yourself, not that God separates himself from you, but you're literally separating yourself from the presence of God in the way that you think, in the way that you live, in the way that you act. And when you do that, you open yourself up for deception, for all kinds of whatever the world wants to throw at you. Because here's the thing, you're not walking in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're not living according to His wisdom which He has placed in you via His Son. You're not balancing your mind with truth. You're embracing what the world tells you. So you're wide open to deceit and lies. You are prime and ready for the enemy to come in and deceive you and darken your understanding. So what happens? They make that choice, these Corinthians make that choice, to set aside the truth within them and embrace the external religious life rather than the intimate, close life that God designed them for. And here come the false teachers. It is like buzzards to a carcass. They show up. You know, they're ready to go. They're going to come in, swoop in, and take over where, where all of this deception begins to make its way into that church and that fellowship and bring further division, bring further darkness. And guess what? Guess what, people? God allowed it. You know how I know that? It happened. Okay? God allowed it. God allowed them to be deceived because deception for the Christian is a choice. It's not imposed on them, okay? So here's the false teachers. And God allowed these teachers to be in the midst of these people who decided to live carnal lives to deepen the darkness of their souls. Now remember, there's a difference between the soul and the spirit. He allowed them to deepen the darkness of their souls. There's a verse in Ezekiel, in the 22nd chapter, verse 26. And the reason I pulled this verse out is we see the children of Israel being led by false teachers who reflect the condition of their soul. Now this is very important because you'll see all manner of churches out there and you'll see all manner of teachers out there. Don't think that the congregation is being held captive by the pastor. What is going on is that God has allowed the pastor that reflects the heart of the congregation. Okay? You know how I know that? He's there. This is God's people we're talking about. Okay? So these priests are reflecting the carnal heart, the soul of the Israelites. And it says of the priest in verse 26, he says, Her priests have done violence to my law. They have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between sacred and the secular. Neither have they taught people the difference between unclean and clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. 
Now, that's what the priests have taught. That's the condition of the people in their soul. The priests have just demonstrated in their teaching the soul condition of these compromised people. They corrupted the truth to gratify their flesh. They have taken what is sacred and dedicated it to their pleasure. They blurred the lines between living to the flesh and living as unto the Lord. They no longer esteemed the privilege of being God's people. And worship was occasional and cultural, not spiritual. Does that sound familiar? Those are the days we're living in, unfortunately. That's what's going on in a lot of places. You see, this, is all, this all points to a prolonged estrangement from the truth and over-acquaintance with the distractions of the flesh. The Spirit of God calls them out in chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Cleanse yourself, determine to live according to the truth by faith. Live holy and consecrated lives. That is, holy, dedicated unto the Lord. And as written in Joshua 24, Paul seems to say to them, Choose you this day. That's basically what Paul's telling the Corinthians in chapter 7. Choose. Because they have a decision to make. They can come out. They can cleanse themselves. They can cleanse that body and that soul of its devotion to this world. Of its passion for the things of this world. They can make a dedicated sacrifice of their body and to the Lord. They can yield their soul to the filling of the Spirit. They can live consecrated lives. But they have to come out and they have to choose it. My friend out there said the word autopilot. Well, that's the truth of it. You can't run on autopilot. You make a choice. You make a choice. You look at Joshua 24, I'm taking a side road here, but you look at Joshua 24, and in the context of that verse, you look at that and you see the children of Israel have been saved. They've all been saved. They've been delivered from cruel bondage. They've been brought into the promised land. The promises are theirs, okay? That's where they're at. They have been blessed by God, but they're compromised. They're allowing their souls to be about the delights and appetites of the flesh rather than their God. And Joshua declares to them, you must choose. You must choose. I brought you, I saved you from the bondage and slavery of Egypt that you might serve me. And now it is your choice. You must choose. This is what verse 1 of chapter 7 declares. Repent. Choose, not just for today, but for every moment. Let's look at verse 5 of chapter 7. Verse 5 of chapter 7, where Paul continues. says, For even when we arrived in Macedonia, our bodies had no ease or rest, but we were oppressed in every way and afflicted at every turn, fighting and contentions without, dreads and fears within us. Now, Paul is describing his condition before he found Titus. He came to Macedonia to find Titus, and he's at a very low point in his ministry. He had no ease or rest in his body. He is both physically and emotionally drained, and he just encountered all that persecution in Ephesus. And everything within him is in turmoil in terms of his soul and his body. You see that struggle. And, and he, he's literally exhausted, not just 
physically exhausted from lack of rest, but emotionally exhausted. He is torn within himself. It's, it's a picture of the, the way our Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweat great drops of blood. The same soul struggle is going on, where his mind, will, and emotions are taking in all of this that's going on around him, but at the center of him, in his spirit, truth remains, and he by faith holds on to the truth. He has to hold on to it by faith because there's no evidence of God's sovereignty in the things around him that's clear to his eyes. By faith, he holds on to the truth that God is with him. And I have been there. I have been in as much difficulty as Paul has been. But, you know, you've had those days where nothing seems real but the problems. The problems are real, but everything else just seems like a vague pipe dream. Wish I was at Disney. And you can't seem to get any rest in your soul. There's no balance there. Your mind is constantly running scenarios that are negative. Your will is choosing to escape, and your emotions are off the charts. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. That's the way it is. And all you've got at the center of your being is that inner knowing that God is with you. That God is sovereign. That He is your life. And you, you bank down into that. And you hold on while your mind, will, and emotions are just going ever which way. You stop and you declare by faith, He is my life. He is sovereign. He is my peace. He is the truth of my situation. I will not yield to all of the fear and anxiety and all of the things that are going on. I will not embrace them and own them as being the truth of my life, though I may feel them. Well, this is where Paul is, one of the lowest points in his ministry. And this battle is being waged. Look at verse 6. I love this. But God who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking, comforted and encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. But God. These two words describe the grace and mercy that attends every one of us. Not just in the moment of crisis, but every minute of our lives. We live and are called to live supernatural lives with the confidence of faith. Comfort is the intervention of God in our souls. It is the intervention of God that characterizes our lives is those two words, but God. But God, my life would be totally different today. But God, I would be overcome with sorrow. But God, if it weren't for God, I would not have hope. If it weren't for God, I would not have peace. If it weren't for God, I would have no nothing to trust in. But God, he says, comfort. Comforts and encourages us. Comfort is an attribute of God's love towards us. Paul begins with that declaration in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of sympathy, pity, and mercy, and the God who is the source of every comfort, consolation, and encouragement. He's the source. Now, we grab onto the things of this world and we say, well, they're a comfort to me. Well, that's hogwash. 
They're a distraction is what they are. There's only one comfort. It's Christ himself. Christ came from the Father to be our source, capital S, of every comfort. Not just the comfort we feel in hard times, but the comfort that is needed in every moment. The comfort of his life in union with us through his spirit. The Greek word that Paul uses there for comfort is parakaleo. And that's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, paraclete. It means to console, to encourage, to strengthen by consolation, to comfort. And that's exactly what the Spirit of God did for Paul. Paul was soul sick. That's the best way to describe it. He was soul sick. And he knew the truth. But his soul was vexed by all that was happening around him. And Paul did not lose faith. Look what he writes. He writes, but God. He didn't say, but Titus. He said, but God. God brought him comfort and consolation through Titus. It wasn't Titus who brought Paul comfort. It was God, the source of all comfort. Now, what did Paul have to do to get God to be his source of comfort? Nothing. It is the Spirit of God present within Paul that assures his comfort, just like it assures yours. It is there for us to reckon upon. It is in us. The comfort of God is God's unconditional love for us. The comfort you know in worship is his comfort. The comfort that is in the embrace of a loved one is his comfort. The comfort that you feel or know in prayer or the prayer of believers is his comfort. It all has the same source. Are you comforted in the things of God? Verse 7. Yes, and not only by his coming, but also by his account of the comfort with which he was encouraged and refreshed and cheered as to you while he told us of your yearning affection, of how sorry you were for me, and how eagerly you took my part, so that I rejoice still the more. Can you see Paul's release and relief? And it shows you where his heart is. Because this is not Paul saying, well, I hope they were sorry. They should be sorry. That's not what Paul's saying. What you see is Paul absolutely rejoicing. You can almost hear him heave a great sigh. And his soul is absolutely drinking in the comfort of the Lord, the truth of God's sovereignty and God's plan. You know, there's nothing more grievous than to have a break in a relationship between people that love each other. You have that kind of grief where somebody just all of a sudden gets their feelings in a twist and they decide they're going to walk away from you and you don't know what to do with them. You can't bring them back. And you're just praying that the Lord will give you opportunity. And part of you thinks, if I could just explain, if I could just talk enough to him, and that doesn't bring reconciliation. If logic would bring reconciliation, there wouldn't be any divorces, would there? The reality of it is that the only thing that will bring reconciliation, true reconciliation, is brought by the Spirit of God. And what a relief when God gets a hold of that life and they come back to you and they say, you know what, I want you to know I love you. And man, you can almost just feel the weight melting off of you. God restores a relationship. So Paul, Paul is absolutely rejoicing at the news that the people had repented. 
It was a comfort to Paul to hear how Titus had been received. Because in Paul's last visit, he was verbally abused and rejected. So it was good that they not only were accepting Titus, but that they welcomed him and attended him. And Paul was really concerned about that. Then Titus also reported that they had a yearning affection for Paul. They, they had a longing to restore their relationship with Paul. They were sorry, repentant, over the way they had treated Paul. The Greek word that Paul uses there is the word for mourning and deep lament, great sorrow. Titus reported that they were eagerly defending him, defending Paul. They had a great zeal. That Greek word means an intense motivation to defend, to protect. They wanted to make things right, and they turned on Paul's enemies to defend Paul. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006